0: Hello and welcome to the Co podcast. My name is Matthew Yassin, a director in a structured finance team. Hello, I'm Andrew Robinson. I'm CEO of Arkenco. The team here at Co. thought we'd put together a podcast to illustrate the thoughts and feelings that are going through the commercial finance world today. What we'd like to achieve is get to understand better some industry figureheads and get to know their journey that they've been on over the last 10 to 15 years. And secondly, We'd like to understand where the industry is going, an education of the next generation in the financial services sector. And conclusively, we'd like you to rate, review and subscribe and tell all your colleagues, as this will help us spread the message that we want and educate others. And most important of all, please enjoy listening to Andrew and I talk about the financial world. We're joined today by Dan Smith from Fortwell Capital. An absolute legend in the market. Welcome to the Ark & Co podcast.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Absolute pleasure to be here.
0: Oh, it's great to have you on. Um, the main points we want to talk about today, Dan, is about a bit about your past, how you've achieved it, uh, and things, milestones you've gone through for your career, um, and where you're going in the future. Cool. So let's start from where it all began.
1: Where did it all begin? Um, so probably a less traditional route into where we are at the moment. Um, grew up in Shropshire, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Did okay at school, but not particularly well. And actually went to technical college and did a BTEC in construction where I learned how to lay bricks and various other trades associated with the construction industry. Um, got lucky Got lucky there that the, the tutor who ran the course said, go and have a look at Reading University. And I went to Reading and did land management which is a real estate degree, and found the investment and finance side of it really interesting and, and did pretty well.
0: Oh, amazing. And from there, then, I mean, did you go into London into banking? Was that the, uh, the background of it?
1: Um, again, slightly unconventional routine. So, having applied for work experiences with pretty much every major surveying firm at the time, um, none of them were interested in me because <laughs> um, I didn't have a particularly. Uh, conventional route in so I was lucky enough to get a work experience placement with um, Trillium which were part owned by Goldman Sachs Whitehall Fund and run by Manish Chandy and Martin Myers and they offered me a four months internship which I completed and they basically said come and have a job here when you're finished which I did.
0: Oh, absolutely. Cracking. Well, to learn underneath those two guys, which are they are uh, absolute legends in the market as well, and to give you that foundation to build on. So after you worked from a fund in there, did you go into the banking industry straight away?
1: Or- yeah, so Trillium was great. You know, the, the, they had a lot of the American guys came over and really um, very analytically heavy, and basically is where I got all my analyst skills my risk modeling skills from working with those guys Um, Landsec bought Trillium they wanted access to the Trillium product and that gave me the opportunity to go and do two years at Landsec so a year in corporate finance a year in development Um, and after I'd finished my two stints there um, looked around didn't really want to stay there so got the opportunity to go to Eurohypo which is ultimately was my route into banking in 2003
0: Probably a good time, wasn't it? The uh, liquidity was around.
1: Yeah, the the first three years, first three or four years were great. And again, did the carousel. At the time, your Hypo were growing rapidly. They had ambitions to be the world's largest real estate lender. The um, securitization was rife at the time, as you'll remember. Everything was getting securitized. And it was just a a crazy time, really. It was times when when loan to values uh, pretty much equaled margins on loans. So I can remember writing (laughs) loans at, high 80% loan-to-value with margins of 90 basis points, which were then...
0: On development loans or uh, long-term no, commercial? On,
1: on, on investment loans, yeah, yeah. not so much development loans. But, it, yeah, just looking back now where the margins were was, was just crazy at the time. No, look, different environment interest rates were 4 were or 5% at the time. Um, construction finance, though, it's still cheap. You know, it's still cheap construction finance around that point in time. And, and you know margins were probably in the 100 basis points to 300 basis points, depending on what the underlying was.
0: Yeah, no, fantastic time. Now, moving on to the kind of landmark deal, which uh, uh, I always uh, relate back to, and, uh, and, and you kind of grimace at that. But to me, I think you were 28 years old at the time. You have an opportunity with your hypo, and you get asked by a large um, a developer uh, to uh, structure some debt into a very um, uh, well-known development in London called One Hyde Park. And
1: yeah, it was, uh, look, I was lucky to work on that. And I, I think from memory, it was either a cold call into the guys at the time or I got an introduction to somebody. Um, but ended up, you know, met, sat down with Nick and Chris back in 2005. Um, didn't know much about them at the time. Didn't really have depth of experience in the super prime resi market, but was a sector I was pretty fascinated in. Um, got up to speed pretty quickly and then you know the bank were interested in in the transaction and, and ultimately we ended up lending them 1.2 billion pounds to construct one high park and
0: that's not bad from a cold call
1: yeah <laughs> not bad from an introduction or a cold call i can't exactly remember which way it came we'll in we go with cold call it sounds excellent yeah it sounds excellent and it was a hard work you know it, it didn't happen overnight you know it was very many months um we were co-underwriting it with another major institution at the time and and that institution for their own reasons decided not to proceed um so we had to a very short notice up it from 600 million to 1.2 billion um and we did that you know in in pretty breakneck speeds
0: do you think you know a landmark deal like that um if you relate it back to normal size of transaction are there similarities or are there bigger obstacles you need to overcome
1: Look, I mean, I've always said that, you know, if you're going to do a deal properly, whether it's, you know, 10 million or a billion, you know, you've still got to do the same amount of work. I guess with that particular project, the underlying real estate at the time, there are a lot of complexities associated with pre-development before they can knock the building down. And then the construction of it and then the high-end finish and the cost associated with it and the professionals. So, yeah, it was, you know, it was a, you know, without doubt, it was a very complicated project. Um, you know, we were in there as the lender. Um, and I know the developers, you know, were dealing with the complications at the coalface, whereas, you know, as a lender, we were sort of uh, monitoring it more, monitoring it more from an ongoing basis. Um, and then, you know, we sold down, Probably just under 50% of that debt to a syndicate of lenders. So you know we had to manage that lenders, and then, of course, you know 2008 happened. Um, everybody got nervous, um, and you know there was a lot of managing your own board and credit committee, the syndicate who were involved at the time. So you know, but as you'll recall, Andrew, you know that was a again a a golden time for super prime residential, and whilst the rest of the market was descending down super prime residential was bucking the trend and, and experiencing really high growth
0: well I do think I remember a uh a uh, CIS client buying one of the penthouses for his son to go to university. I think that says it all. <laughs>
1: yeah, but, and I'm sure there was a bit of that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I just say it's such a landmark deal. You know, you travel globally uh, and you talk about real estate transactions different in different areas of the world. Quad and super prime, they always relate back to one Hyde Park. Uh, so it's such a landmark deal. So
1: yeah, people... I mean, we, you know, we used to say at the time it was probably the, the largest loan to a single residential development in the uk um at that point in time whether that's factually true or not but it, it sounded good at the time and we know we think that it probably was and you yeah, look i was privileged to have been involved and yeah it taught me an awful lot taught me an awful lot about construction about banking about um difficult conversations dealing with people both um the borrower side the bank side internally at, at our own bank so yeah, i was super lucky to have had that experience
0: okay moving on then from euro hypo where did it go next 2008 you managed out a bit with uh, one high park and a loan book there what, what was the next steps
1: so i think it's 2008 after the crash i basically put my hand up and said look you know i would like to do some workouts you know everyone's recoiled I mean, I'd not really been through a recession. Um, really, I experienced in 2003 a bit of the, the rental recession that, that was around at the time, um, but not really a full financial recession. So it was my first one and you know, it, was, it was a hard one. So um, you know, there was a lot of distress in the market, a lot of equity being wiped out. Um, and I just put my hand up and said, look, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do some of the work out. And a lot of people were shy of that. And weren't that interested. Um, I embraced that, and you know, I think for me that was a real catalyst in my career. I, I learned an enormous amount from it, and I think I say to people, you know, I probably got 20 years' experience in three years yeah. just through the number of transactions that were involved.
0: Oh, just looking over that 10-year period from construction, from working in the analytical side at the start to working in a bank, doing the deals, managing the deals. And now on workouts. Yeah. You've basically covered a whole lifespan of of loans.
1: Yeah, and I did that in a a really relatively compressed time frame for for where I was, for my age at the time and my my career path. So I said I was super lucky. And I think the thing with workouts is you very quickly learn where mistakes were made in, in those particular transactions. And then that stays with you so that when you see that situation in a new deal like we do now, you remember back and go, ah, well... I've seen that before you know i've, I've experienced this I've, I've seen how that can go wrong and i think you know and it's also great from a behavior point of view as well you know just seeing how people react in situations and you learn a lot from dealing with people in, in high stress
0: yeah well we can come on to that later on with the last year we've been through but so from, from the workouts going into new lending or new challenging you know we're in an exciting time 2010-11 kind of time yeah. what happened uh, next Where? what was your next step
1: so I left the bank late 2012 um, you know done a lot of the workouts had, had sort of been embedded down and that market was getting better one high Park had repaid, I think, earlier in that year. A couple of the difficult restructures I was working on had, had, had executed and were stabilised. Um, I was looking for my next challenge, really. And um, fortunately enough, Christian and Nick picked up the phone, or, or I spoke to them and, and they said, Look, you know, we've got this lending business called Omni Capital, as it was at the time, that's just been started up. And gave me the opportunity to get involved with them in that business. Uh, and, um,
0: and what were the doubts in your mind from going from a big bank or whatever, working for, then for a client, which has become your boss, and also an entrepreneurial kind of client, but also the lending, completely different. You know, Om- Omni uh, launched with a bridging product.
1: That's right. Yeah, completely different. And I think I was ready for it. Right, I'd had ten. You know, I basically had fifteen years in institutions, pretty much with with Land Securities with Trillium. So, I was ready for that change. You know, and look, I had. I knew what I was going into. So, you know, I'd worked with CBC Group, Christian and Nick, for alongside them as, as, a, as their lender for six years. So, you know, it wasn't like I didn't know the individuals um, in that organization. So, you know, and, and I saw it was a real opportunity and I wanted that experience, you know, in my career path. I'd always, from an early stage, said that I want to ultimately own and run my own business. Um, and that was a logical step forward. I'd also wanted to get more exposure into, you know, the slightly more equity side of the business, uh, the principal side, which which I know, Omni was a, a principal lender. Um, so, yeah, and, and you know, it gave me the me the chance to get involved in some of the other stuff that, that they were getting involved with at the time.
0: Well, it gave you a lot of autonomy, I guess, to where you were yeah. before, so, um, and decision-making. That's and, right, yeah. Uh, seeing a project, probably not in different compartments, but from start to end, cradle to grave, uh, kind of attitude yeah
1: lot. and, and you know, that team had you know Colin in there absolutely cracking guy Colin and Ed now at Tuscan so um, you know Colin and Ed were, were embedded in Omni at the time and I had the the sort of benefit of working alongside those guys, um, which which I was thankful for. And you asked me what the differences were. Well, I mean, I think I can remember going early doors and and I've come out of a world where margins were one to two percent per annum and all of a sudden it's one one percent per month.
0: Or well, maybe two percent. <laughs> <laughs>
1: was like, wow, hang on a second, this is this is ridiculous. What's going on here? And and, and the volume as well. And again, there were a few lenders around at the time. So And one of the things, you know, when I went in there was to look at a way that business could adapt and evolve. And, you know, given my background and specialism in construction finance and development finance, you know, looked at opportunities to push the the omni as it was at the time into into more than just bridging, which we did. Um, And we started putting on refurbishment and development. And, you know, I think within the first couple of years there, you know, we'd written a large loan of £130 million pounds to Northacre when they acquired number one Palace Street we supported uh, the guys at Hadley when they bought a site down on Chelsea Island £40-50 50 million pounds. you know all of a sudden Omni's gone from being a, a smaller ticket bridge lender of high volume to actually doing some Really significantly large loans, and you know, when we were we were syndicating the equity, or sort of syndicating the debt down, we were we were using warehouse lines from you know international lending organisations to to grow the business, um which was great.
0: And did that's very interesting about how you do that and structure it. Something you learned from an early age there, and the experience of the the UBOs basically. But did that stop? the progression of the, the speed about how you to un, uh, how were able to underwrite those loans? Or did you complete the loans on your own balance sheet and sell down? So a lot of people with business, lending businesses, once they start to grow and they're bringing in institutional lines, warehouse lending, whatever, it can kind of freeze up. And from what they're known for, you know, uh, the speed and uh, uh, everything, the delivery can changes. Did you see any of that as you grew? Or?
1: So a little bit, I can remember, you know, I can remember a situation where we were on risk for a very large loan and we hadn't yet signed up the senior lender, so I had a quite difficult conversation (laughs) um, at the time. But, you know, I was confident and, you know, we got that away, so that was fine. But, you know, there was a a time when we were significantly on risk before selling it down for the very reasons that you just say, that, you know, we need to move at a speed for the underlying borrower, that, that our syndicate partner in that transaction couldn't move quite as fast as us, you know, so we were we were on risk for a, a few weeks, but you know, we were always confident we gonna get away. Um and then in terms of the warehouse lines, no, you yeah, we would to start with, you know, we wrote some smaller development loans, we were then able to package together and um, put into a warehouse line as a seed. Um and but we were lucky to work with with partners um who understood the speed that we were working at and, and we just set the structure up in a way that that allowed us to to commit to the loans and then put them into the warehouse you know shortly thereafter and as you know yourself with development finance you know all the money doesn't go out the door day one so if we're writing a 20 million pound loan day one you're probably only sorry a 20 million pound total loan you're only putting out you know two to four million pounds yeah but day you one. still need the money <laughs> no, you, still, you, know, you still need the money but you know but it was always there you know it was always there in the warehouse line yeah um, no. you know, it wasn't a scenario where we were writing commitments that we couldn't honour that was, ne- was never the case, um, you know. But, you know, we set up the warehouse lines in a way that, that you know, uh, uh, we always knew the loans were going to go in there. You know, we would get an approval from the warehouse line operator before we committed to the loan so that, you know, we, we, we had their back-to-back going in yeah, there.
0: Sure. Okay, moving on from Omni, which then evolved into what is now Fortwell and Fortwell Capital... How did that go because it was changed names then wasn't it was there an MBO or you know what was the process there?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I was thinking back I think you know I think we changed the name around 2015 2016 and we were doing less bridge business more development business there were some external factors not to do with us there was another omni capital around at the time there was a little bit of confusion in the market so you know we collectively thought that actually a, a rebranding of the business was a good thing to do. Um, and you know, working with the guys, we came up with the name Fortwell Capital that everybody liked and, and it got rebranded, I said in, I think late 2015, early 2016. And then Fortwell became synonymous with more of the construction development finance, which is kind of how that, that you know, was the intention of it. Um, and then in 2017, um, I got presented with Arthur, my business partner, to take the Fortwell business forward, um, which we did, um, and you know, we were presented with an opportunity for where our where Christian and CPC were at the time. We were presented with the opportunity to take Fortwell forward. We basically, as you said, did an, M- an MBO arrangement, whereby we bought the um, we bought the uh, asset management company effectively that, that held the staff and the brand. Um, and then we took that in April 2018. We signed that and basically took Fortwell through an MBO into a new vehicle and then sought a new capital financial partner to allow us to grow the business. So we'd already lined up some conversations and, you know, we, we set about finding a new capital partner. Um, and we had, you know... An existing loan book which we carried on managing and then we had the option to take that as a seed portfolio forward um, and you know the way we did that is you know we knew that we were not going to go and raise an LP fund you know we didn't have the track record nobody in the LP new world knew Fortwell, well Dan Smith Arthur Jennings you know it just wasn't going to happen that way um, so we you know, we thought well what's the best way here we, we need to find a PE house, private equity house who doesn't have a lending business or we need to find another family office or high net worth individual who is looking for a lending offering. So we drew up a shortlist and came up with about 30 names and through either our own contacts or help from others getting us a conversation, a meeting, set about making phone calls and going having meetings. And it you know, it's hard, you know, it was hard work, you know, and it was, you know, uncertain times, you know, we, we we had no idea really if we were going to succeed in finding a capital partner for the business.
0: Well, I think it was just about um, Brexit time, wasn't it? Yeah. One of those ones. Uh, but um, how did you psych- think about psychologically from uh, working within a lender to then buying that lender, you know, once it all completed... Did anything change internally or how did you feel walking into that office thinking, Christ, I'm on the hook now?
1: You know? Yeah, and, and you know, you're right, you know, we are. Not, I, mean, I, I was excited by it. I think as I said earlier, I, I always wanted to be in the position that I was, you know, in control in control of my own destiny to the extent that I could be, um, you know, and I wanted to be a business owner. Now, you know, so yeah, we could complete the transaction, you know, we Got boxes left. Left the old office, put the boxes down in the new office, and it's a bit like, all right, guys, well, what are we doing now? And so we all looked at each other, and then we got busy. Um, did the team come with you? you yeah, before, so we so? took. Yeah, we took um, what was you know, the core of the team came with us at the time um, in, into the new into the new offering. And did they
0: look at you differently? Did, you know, was it? Uh, I don't think a, they did, to- and I don't think either
1: Arthur and I set ourselves up like that you know we we you know we want to work with people you know we want to work with people we like um and you know I've always wanted to grow that type of organization so um you know I did however many years of banking and very very long hours and you know we don't have a FaceTime culture where we don't want people to be overstretched you know people need to work hard when they need to and, and when, they don't need, when they haven't got much to do, then they should go and use that time for themselves. And so you know, we try and have that sort of relationship, much, much like you and you and Ed do here with Co. right? And you've built a fantastic business here. And I can see similarities between the way you and Ed run the business to how Arthur and I are in Fortwell.
0: Yeah, the team are very important. Team, team are really important to any business, how you run it and the culture you put in and how they respond to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, and going back to, to terms of how we, we raise the money. So we were, you know, we were having lots of conversations, you know, I totally believed in the alternative lending debt business at the time, you know, I I couldn't have believed in it more and hence the reason why when we were offered the opportunity to sort of take Well into our own ownership you know I embraced that and I fully believed it and I never had any doubts once and I always knew it would be hard work but I always knew we would find a partner um, and ultimately you know a lot of tyre kickers in that process um, I think we ended up having th- six serious conversations three um, offers were probably the best way of describing it um, and you know we were lucky enough to find Kane and I'd known John Cole there for a very long time, um, who runs um, Kane's lending business globally. Um, you know, I'd known Jonathan Goldstein um, a little bit, not as well as John. And you know, the fit was just right for us. You know, they had an equity business, they had a lending business, they were developers, they very much viewed construction and debt the way we looked at it. They assessed risk in the same way that we did. Um, and they were just a very complimentary partner for us. You know, and they had a large ticket lending business um, and were looking for access into the more medium-sized, um, the more medium-sized part of the market that that we specialized in. So it was a it was a great fit from our point of view. And we we quickly agreed the deal with them and concluded that on the first of August 2018, when we when we left the temporary office in Broadwick Street and moved into Davis Street with those guys. So and you know. You look back and, and you know, if, if you were looking from above, you'd think, oh, well, that, that will look quite easy. MBO agreed in, in early 2018, completed in April, new equity partner in August. And, you know, it, it did go quite quickly, but, you know, it, it was you know a lot of hard work um, and a lot of uncertainty at the time. But, you know, I, I wouldn't change it.
0: And where are you up to now as a business? You know, loan book, loans out uh, out
1: there. So we've done really well, and and goes back to what I said. I always believe that this was a fantastic business. The debt business is great, and so we came across. We bought eighty million of the what was the Fortwell book we were managing at the time. We bought that into the Kane partnership. Um, you know, it took five months then without writing a loan. You know, and again, you're like. Mm, have I made the right decision? What have we done here, you know? <laughs> oh, are we actually going to write a loan? Because, you know, you, you kind of had to kick start. You know, when we left in in the April, you know, everybody knew we didn't have a balance sheet, right? There was no balance sheet sitting behind us at the time. Um, we signed the deal with Kane. You know, people have forgotten about it thought, well, you know how this industry works as much as we do. So we then had to sort of, you know reignite all of those relationships and contacts with people you know convince them that you know we're back in business and we've got a balance sheet and you know i don't think we actually wrote a loan until probably february 2019 so you know we had a six-month period when we're like oh and then those first loans tipped in which were great um and then we just built from there so we had a crack in 2019 i think we wrote 150 odd million pounds of lending Um, high hopes for 2020 <laughs> and then obviously COVID came along but you know the loan book was stable.
0: Did you see just in COVID uh, did you see uh, any rash reactions going back to the first part of our conversation you said about your loan management you know the loan workout where you had to have conversation engaged with the clients etc. How what was that like at the time were the clients uh, defensive about it or how do you handle it?
1: So I think that you know, no, no one really saw it coming, right? And it's not, you know, it, it wasn't anyone's fault. So, you know, fundamentally, good deals, which we wrote and which the borrowers had bought into, should remain good deals, other than the fact that, you know, COVID has, has disrupted them for, through a, through a medical reason that's affecting human beings across the world. Um so I think there's a lot of understanding of that between lender and borrower you know there are some difficult conversations um people were put in very difficult borrowers were put in very difficult positions because you know, they were in the process of refinancing in some instances and that refinancing um fell away and I can totally understand why lenders would not want to extend credit at the start of a pandemic which is totally uncertain so that you know put stress on the relationship like, you know, as a lender and we've always, you know, if you're working with a lender and a borrower and, you know, they're working with you, they're communicative, they're doing all they can, then, you know, we, we work with them, right? And that's always been our philosophy.
0: Yeah, Communication is key every time.
1: Yeah, always been our philosophy. You know, if, if they're communicating with you, they're working with you and, you know, a problem has arisen that no one could have foreseen, then it's a shared problem. Um, so, you know, we we, we, we took that we, we took that approach into how we're doing. But, yeah, absolutely some tough conversations. And, you know, us ourselves had lined up to write deals and you know, we paused. And, you know, I don't think anybody criticised us for pausing. Um, and we took stock and we, we reassessed. But what we did do very well is recut deals in order to, Allow those borrowers to to take forward projects, to buy, buy buildings that they had committed to buy, and you know we would recut the deal. And you, know, you have a very grown up conversation, and again it comes back to how people react. So, you know we slightly change the terms, might lower the debt, they put a bit more equity in there, we'd recut the deal, and then I think in in you know June and May, June and July we we were we were writing business again, albeit at a low risk point than we had originally intended, but, you know, we wrote business again.
0: So from that point, June 2020 to June 21, where we are now, you've accelerated rapidly.
1: Yeah. So we did, I think we did about 100 million in 2020 in total. We had hoped to do 150, but we did 100. We continued with what we'd been focusing on, which was a lot in the care home space, which we've always been very strong in. Private residential for sale, predominantly outside London. Um, we've obviously got the scheme with, with you guys in Ealing, which has gone very well, which we wrote, I think, January last year. But you know, that was the first deal we'd done back in London for a long time. So we've been focusing on on product outside of London. And um, industrial logistics. We'd started to do industrial logistics before COVID broke. And we carried on operating in that space. So look, we got lucky, right? We picked sectors, which turned out to be resilient.
0: Well, you can say that's luck. That's also experience, knowledge, foresight, et cetera.
1: Yeah, and, you know, if I wanted to flatter myself, then I would say a lot of that. But as I openly say to people, you know, it's it's partly to do with our prejudices in some of those sectors that we didn't like. Um, and it's just a lot of good fortune, right? You know, we could have had a virus that decimated the care home business, for instance. Um you know, and we wouldn't have been looking so clever with picking the care home sector. So, yeah, look, I, you know, there is an element of skill here. But, you know, I always say to people, you know, I, I'm, I'm no rocket scientist, right? And, you know, we, we know there's a good amount of luck here and a good amount of good fortune, which is positioning the business so it's, so it's succeeded through through this tough time.
0: And moving to where we are now, I see you just launched into Ireland, your first yeah, deal. Yeah, so was, sorry, you asked,
1: you asked where we are now. So we've, you know, we've had a great start to the year. I think as you will have seen yourself and i'll be interested to hear your thoughts you know a lot of the mainstream lenders as they did back in gfc retracted and have retracted offering lower leverage products not supporting some of their core borrowers that's allowed the alternative lenders to fill that space um you know there aren't there isn't enough capacity in the alternative lenders to fill the market so you know we're seeing more deals from borrowers who we may not have seen before. Um, we're getting high quality credits and you know we are we're embracing this time to, to expand our business and we've done you know we've done over 200 million in the first half of this year in and some of those are deals which we probably wouldn't have seen two years ago. Um, and we've been you know we've, we've been fortunate to get those. and Ireland, as you say you know we did our first deal in Ireland two weeks ago. Um, that's been a while in the making. We've been looking at the Irish market. It was always identified when we went when we did the partnership with Kane. We we set out a number of business strategies. We you know we'd said from the outset we wanted to build Fort to be, you know, a multi-strategy lender with about two billion. And that was kind of the mission statement. Um, and we had a number of strategies that we were working towards, Ireland with one of them. We had hoped to do that in Second half of 2020, but obviously for the, for COVID, we were focusing on our own book um, and weren't able to basically get over there and see product. And, and Ireland was, was largely shut for longer than the UK.
0: Will you control that from London here or yeah. how will you run it?
1: So we've got a absolutely first class partner in Warren Private in Dublin. They're based out of Dublin. Dave Kelleher and Mark O'Brien. I've known Dave for Fifteen to twenty years, um, you know, they are helping us on the ground in Ireland source, originate, and underwrite screen deals. So, for this first stage of our of our push into Ireland, we'll be we'll be using that. You know, beyond there, we are we'll will figure out you know the best way of doing that. And you know, will we open a Fortwell Ireland office? Possibly. I think the plan at the moment is to to manage it from London with the partnership through Warren in Dublin um, and you know we see that as being an effective way to manage it going forward.
0: Okay flipping it around a bit on the on the broker market how do you see that changing or evolving so first of all uh, a lot of your deals come from the broker market is that right in assuming but obviously yeah. also direct but how do you see that broker market evolving uh, over the next couple of years?
1: So I think, you know, statistics, we, we always say we get about 65% of our deals come through introducers, debt advisors, brokers, 35 through direct or repeat business is broadly about how the split is. And you know, the market has definitely evolved in the last 10 years. You know, when I was banking at Eurohypo, you know, I think there were one or two brokers in the market, um, certainly for the deals that the Eurohypo were doing now you know, most of the deal, a broker or a debt advisor or an inducer is normally involved in the transaction. And, and that has really evolved. And there are many more firms. So how do I see that evolving? Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, there are many lenders out there. New lenders come along all the time. And it's very difficult for a borrower to navigate through that. And, and certainly with developers, you know, developers are good at building buildings, you know, they're not so good at sourcing finance, so they need the help of introducers. Um, some of the more sophisticated ones, you know, can make direct approaches, but a lot of them will need the help of an introducer and a broker to, to navigate the market for them.
0: And how do you see from a broker advisory point of view about the added value? What As a lender, what do you want to see yeah. from them? From-
1: so we always say that, you know, we've probably got four to 500 introducers, debt advisors, brokers in our database of which we think there are probably you know 10 to 30 who are who are any good so there's a lot of people out there who just pump deals in um forward on an email um what we like to look at is you know an introducer who packages it up understands the requirements puts it all together, does an element of the analysis first and can present a, you know, a clear, coherent, you know, right, we want this money and, and understands what the lender's looking for, understands the lender's credit process and what the, what the lender's criteria are so that, you know, we get presented with the package of information so that we can quickly analyse it, knowing that that the the introducer has also put it together, you know, and, and the likes of, of Ark and Co and yourselves, you know, you do that very well. You know, we always get you know, excellent presentations from you. So, you know, we we can make a quick decision. Is that for us? Without having to scrabble around and, you know, well, look in the email, well, what's going on there? And, you know, and, you know we can waste a lot of time on on people just forwarding emails. So, you know, really looking to, a, to an advisor to assist.
0: Yeah, I think that's key. With, you, you said about 2008, I was in the market at that time as well. But the change in what's happened from, I call it brokerage to advisory. Yeah. And the people which have adapted within it they add value in the chain. They don't forward emails. They understand the transaction, both sides. They understand the developer, their client, and they understand the lender. Yeah. And that, to me, uh, when you you have to understand both parties to be able to present it and and talk it and negotiate it through the through the stage.
1: Yeah, and I think you know a good advisor adds value to both sides. You know they should be making it easier for their borrower, and they should be driving a better price, and they do they can they can drive in credit process and they add value to the lender because you know the lender can can vent at them, can shout at them and can tell them actually know I need this information and, and rather than my team and the Fortwell team spending time sort of hand, handing the hold of, holding the hand of a, of a borrower through the process, you know a good advisor has already done that by the time he gets to us. so you know they should they add value all around.
0: Absolutely. Um, one final question. What do you wish you had known back then you do now? Anything, would you do anything different?
1: If I thought long and hard of it, un- undoubtedly I would. Um, you know, I wouldn't have changed my necessarily changed my career path. And it's funny, I, I, I look back and even from when I came out of university, I always said I wanted to basically be a business owner. And I knew I needed to do some analysis, I needed to do some lending, I needed to do some direct sort of equity side work. And, um, you know, then ultimately I could set myself on my own. So I've, I've kind of done that path. Now, you know, the, so the objectives are the same. The way you get there is different, right? You know, you know ups and downs and, and and the road winds and deviates but comes back. So, you know, from a, from a career path point of view, I, I don't think, you know, I wouldn't have changed the way I've got here differently, but you know, I would have probably gotten earlier, <laughs> you know. I, I always say to people that, you know, I kind of, from a, from a selfish financial perspective, you know, a lot of people made a lot of money from, from 98, 99 through to 2006, and, and I was kind of getting in, you know, towards the back end of that period. So, you know, but that's just, you know, I, I can't change that, right?
0: I think it's crucial, you know, in your experience, but also a lot of other people's experience to get started as quickly as you can, to take those risks earlier on, to get the experience in the different markets you have uh, is crucial. A lot of people can drift. uh, And this this isn't to say that grad schemes are bad, but you could end up in a corporate environment where you just get pigeonholed for a while. And, you know, if you've got the beliefs that someone like you have, you've got to get on with it.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, and I, and I see you see that with people in organisations. They they not, not they get stuck. I think they just you know life becomes comfortable, um, and that's part of the reason why I left Hyper when I did. You know, massively enjoyed my time there. You know, great relationships, great friends, um, and really good experiences that that have set my career up. But you know, I was lucky enough to to do the restructuring work, and then. That kind of came to position, and I could have stayed there. Right, I'm sure I could have stayed there and, and had a great job and a great career. But you know, I wanted something more. So you know, and as I said, would I have done it differently? I don't know if I would have jumped out any earlier, to be honest. And I enjoyed the time at CPC Group immensely, um, and I maintained good friendships and good relationships there as well. Um, you know, could could I have compressed the time scale so I could have been in a position now where Fortwell is is bigger? Um, yeah, of course, you know. Uh, but I also want to to make sure that we're we're running an organisation, as you said. You know, we like the human side of it. You know, you know people people are everything to us. You know, it's important we get the right people. And I don't I don't want to have an organisation that's got hundreds and hundreds of people in. You know, I want an organisation that's that's small and that you know you know we know who everybody is. You know, we have a lot of fun. We work hard. We have fun everybody enjoys working there you know that's the kind of organisation that, that we want to build
0: no, I agree well Dan thank you very much for being awesome speaking to you you've done an amazing job with Arthur as well uh, Fortwell uh, a great great lender and uh, I really think you guys are going to do very very well going forward so thank thanks a lot for coming in
1: thank you for having me